Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My friend and colleague is Bruce Aldrich, and our guest today is a gentleman by the name of Jerry W. Cox, and he has written a book with maybe the best title of any book I've ever heard of, Killer Airbags. You get right to the point on your title of your book, and today we're going to chat about the ongoing Takata airbag situation, which, if I remember correctly, it's just, you know, every time you look up something about Takata, it changes. It's uh, gotten worse. It got a little bit better. It got worse, and it's still ongoing, and and Jerry has written this book, and uh, welcome to our program. We're all ears today to hear about um, your expertise in this area, so thank you for being our guest. No, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it, and I hope that this effort will save some people's lives and also um, excite those gearheads out there uh, who uh, really need to be paying more attention to this and what kind of impact it will have on cars, car sales, car engineering, and so forth in the future. Jerry, why did you write the book? I considered it a moral obligation. I found myself sort of in the middle of this fraud scheme. Uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, uh, the company had been lying for years about the safety of the uh, uh, ammonium nitrate with a choice that they made to put ammonium nitrate into airbags in order to create the thrust <clears throat> that will make the airbag inflate. And they started out in 2000 uh, working with Honda. That was their launch customer. And Honda wanted the cheapest thing they could possibly get, and Takata was more than happy to provide that to them. And their choice was ammonium nitrate because it costs about 10% what other more stable um chemicals cost and it really helped keep the cost down and Honda just went crazy on it and started installing the stuff uh, in people's cars uh, in uh, the 2001 model years 2001 2002 were the first uh, vehicles and they were almost entirely Honda Accords and Honda Civics and then it later spread to 19 different car manufacturers they just couldn't resist the price point uh, for ammonium nitrate based inflators I Jerry, see. do you know what the price point is? What the manufacturers were paying? I mean, was it like I don't know, forty bucks for a for a airbag uh, driver side and and a, and a good one or a less less cheap one was sixty bucks or, or how much money are we talking? Are we talking a dollar between a good one and a bad one? Uh, it changed over time. Obviously, with mass production, you get even greater uh, savings, uh, but. Um, for example, uh, General Motors in about 2006 went to their supplier, Autoleave in Sweden, and said, look, there's a substantial difference between what we're paying you for inflators to use something called guanidine trait. Uh, we want you to match Takata's price. And the folks in Sweden said, ain't going to happen. You can't do that. What uh, Takata is using is dangerous. And General Motors said, well, then, goodbye. We're not going to use you anymore. We're going to switch to Takata. So whatever the dollar difference was, it was a lot. It doesn't take, didn't take very much, especially in those days, uh, for somebody to uh, outprice their competitor, uh, even a couple of dollars difference uh, per unit. In fact, I think it's probably about what it was. It was probably about maybe $2 per unit uh, for, the, for the inflators. Because nobody buys inflators by themselves. They buy airbag modules. And so there are other factors that, go into the cost of the module, like, you know, what you're paying to get the bag um, 
created and folded and installed and to make sure that the uh, ignition system uh, th that actually sets off the airbag to make sure that that's there and working and so forth. Those uh, things also had their own separate component costs, uh, but we're talking a couple of bucks difference. And uh, that was enough for General Motors to go to AutoLeave in about 2006 and say, guys, we're just not going to buy your stuff. You say it's safer, but, you know, we want cheaper. So they were a lot like Honda in that respect. And they were trying to compete against Honda. So in some respects, you can't blame them. Yes. Uh, Jerry, your background, um, you're uh, Ivy League educated. I, I don't want to insult whether it's it's Princeton or Harvard or Yale. I've forgotten now. But you have a tradition, uh, terrific background, and you worked for some of these companies, uh, I believe. And would, if, if the manufacturers have commented on your book so far, have they said, well, this guy's just a disgruntled former employee or he's a hothead or what have you? Have you heard any comments like that? And um, what is your, your background in the automotive industry? Well, I think what the manufacturers and what the transportation department want is for interviews like this not to happen. Yes. Uh, they figure this will just go away. It'll blow over. Nobody will pay any attention. Uh, they've gone out of their way over the years to make this situation so complicated that they think nobody can explain it to people, that nobody will understand what went down here or what they as consumers are supposed to do about it. They're counting on that. Uh, but I fully expect that they will attack me. And that's one of the reasons why every single thing I put in the book and every single thing I'm going to tell you today uh, is really unimpeachable. It's really uh, uh, information that is provable, that's admitted, uh, and uh, that it's not just um, you know a bunch of um, you know wild raving uh, about uh, against corporations or whatever. I mean, corporations certainly serve a good purpose, but there is such a thing as corporate social responsibility, and that's something that Takata seems never to have heard of. Um, so, but in any case, my background. Uh, I worked my way through Princeton as a newspaper reporter. Oh, fantastic! I'm sort of in the habit, of, sort of in the habit of um, taking complicated things like the tokamak fusion reactor and trying to explain that to lay audiences. Um, so I have that background, and then uh, law school at the University of Virginia, uh, and then the very first assignment I had, oddly enough, had to do with the Firestone 500s. Those were tires that fell apart at highway speeds and killed hundreds of people, <clears throat> and I, uh, the firm I joined uh, straight out of law school just happened to be the regional counsel for all the Firestone 500 cases west of the Mississippi, and while I was there, I worked with a guy who had been the first assistant attorney general under another Princeton grad uh, by the name of Jack Danforth. Danforth was senator from Missouri, and um, he uh, needed help. He found himself sort of overnight chairman of three subcommittees in the Senate because of the Reagan landslide, and uh, Jack needed somebody to cover his Commerce Committee work, um, and uh, I got selected to do that, and uh, so as he put it to me, your job, Jerry, is to get airbags and cars, and um, that meant he was standing up against the Reagan administration, which wanted very badly to kill the requirement for airbags and cars, uh, and um, uh, we won eventually. It took 30 years altogether between Ralph Nader coming up with the idea and popularizing the idea of airbags back in the 1960s and a requirement that went into place finally at the very end of the Reagan administration. Uh, but the problem is that all of the domestic manufacturers had uh, vilified me, vilified Danforth, and had gone out of their way to make sure that there wouldn't be any suppliers for airbags. They drove 
General Motors and Chrysler and Ford drove all of the airbag inventors, the companies and the people that created the airbag technology, they drove them all out of the business. And then the next thing they knew, they lost a U.S. Supreme Court case. In fact, I was on the brief on behalf of the independent insurers after I had left Capitol Hill. I was on the brief in that case. We won a 9-0 decision. And then the auto manufacturers were like, oh, wait a minute. Oops. So all the domestic manufacturers were gone. And the only choice they had was to turn to foreign companies. And that left basically Sweden, uh, Germany, uh, and then kind of belatedly, Takata got into the business uh, only because Honda needed a supplier. And, and uh, they also recognized, Honda recognized back in those days that their safety, because their cars were so much smaller and lighter, their safety records were terrible compared to American cars, much bigger cars that weighed three times as much as, as um, Civics and Nissans and whatnot. And so they decided to compete. I mean, one thing you have to say about the Japanese companies is they really understand competition. You know, they can add. And uh, so they figured out that when people started paying attention to safety, um, safety ratings, when safety ratings became available, um, they realized that they could beat General Motors by putting airbags in their little lightweight cars and have better safety records and better uh, crash test results than these much bigger cars had. So uh, they um, were putting out 100%, certain models coming to the United States were 100% airbag cars when General Motors, for example, was only like 15%. And as a result of that, <clears throat> the uh, uh, most of the uh, supply or the growth at places like the car corporation, which had been making seatbelts for cars for decades at that point, a family-owned business, uh, the uh, the grandfather of the last chairman of the company before it went bankrupt, the guy who drove it into bankruptcy, his grandfather had created the company uh, primarily to supply uh, the Japanese war machine. He made um, parachutes and cutters and that sort of thing out of woven fabric. That's the origin of Takata Corporation. And then after uh, the Japanese lost the war, he needed a new market and realized that if somebody could just persuade American car manufacturers to uh, put, put uh, seatbelts in their car, if they would put seatbelts in there, or at least something to anchor seatbelts to, because Detroit wasn't even doing that back in the early 60s, if somebody could do that, it was a gold mine. And so he got into that business, made a fortune. His son took over uh, and... Um, really was very reluctant. This, this history is in um, Killer Airbags. It's in the book uh, in a lot of detail. And the son um, initially said, we can't get into the airbag business. We don't know anything about explosives. If we make one mistake with that, it will bankrupt the company. And God, was he prescient when he said that. That's exactly what happened. Um, but he decided the money was just too good. Um, there, was just too, there were too many billions of dollars at stake uh, once the Supreme Court decision came down um, that I was involved in. When, when that Supreme Court decision came down, he decided that, yeah, we're, we're all in. And so they started buying up uh, businesses in the U.S. Uh, that involved uh, woven fabrics and also involved explosives. Woven fabrics they knew about, the explosives they didn't know about. And they basically milked the companies that they bought in Georgia and Washington State for whatever information they could get, decided that they knew enough to tweak the patents that came along with purchase of those businesses and um, set about making um, airbags. And initially they used the same chemicals that everybody else in the industry was using. But then when 2000 rolled around, um, Honda was just insistent that they had to have a much cheaper alternative. And Honda 
actually made a lot of the decisions for Takata about what they would use uh, in um, to inflate the airbags. That was a really crucial decision. And so what happened was um, the uh, Japanese engineers uh, uh, knew that they had to go through various kinds of validation tests to show uh, that this cheaper explosive, the ammonium nitrate, was um, safe to use. And so they conducted tests, and the test showed that the stuff exploded, that it turned these canisters that were supposed to push gas into an airbag, it turned them into hand grenades. So that wasn't what anybody in Japan wanted to hear. And because they didn't want to hear that, they simply changed the results of the test. They faked them and uh, turned those over to Honda, which claims never to have audited these reports. Um, American engineers uh, looked at them, saw that they were fake, uh, redid them to show what the real results were, got uh, company executives to sign the real test results, which then went into a vault. And uh, they weren't seen again until 2014 when the head of um, inflator engineering for Takata uh, turned state's evidence and, and took those to the FBI. That's what led to Takata's criminal conviction and ultimately to their bankruptcy. Gotcha. Wow, what a story. Uh, there's so many, so many follow-up questions, but I'll try to be succinct, and I'm sure Bruce has his uh, share of questions too. When you hear, you're, you are talking to two lay people, by the way. I'm sure you've assumed that. You're the expert. But when you start to throw out these numbers, I'm, I'm just going to toss out numbers. 15 million cars get... Uh, recalled on one level. The next day it's three three million. The next day it's another million. Isn't that just um, enough for the industry or people like you or even people in our capacity to say they're they're recalling all these cars? Why don't we just stop and and do something completely different? It's it's as you say they're hand grenades. Or is there so much greed involved that they would never ag- agree to that until they? go bankrupt. And, and where do we stand now? The, the whole schedule for the recalls was deliberately designed to confuse people and to reduce the extent to which people, even if they got a recall notice, um, that the, reduce the extent to which they would go and get repairs. Um, in auto safety, one thing that's been clear from the very beginning of auto safety recalls after the passage of legislation in 1966 uh, is that an awful lot of people get recall notices and ignore them, um, or um, they don't get the recall notice. And one of the things that Takata learned early on, they were making seatbelts, as I said, for Honda and others uh, back in the late 80s and early 1990s, that deteriorated over time. The sunlight would make seatbelts come unbuckled. And uh, it was kind of hard to prove if somebody got killed in a car accident and their seatbelt was unbuckled, but then they're dead. How do you know whether they actually buckled it and it broke or or whether it was not buckled? And so Takata let that situation go by for years and years and years. And then when they finally had to fess up to it, uh, so many years had gone by that when they did send out recall notices, a tiny percentage of them actually got to the current owners of the cars. So the car manufacturers count on that. They want people not to get recall notices. They don't want them to bring their cars back in and get them fixed. And the reason they don't, as you just said a minute ago, is greed. You know, that it costs them money to do it if people don't show up to claim the recall. 
And that's one of the reasons when Honda first started issuing recalls on the Takata airbags, the only thing it said in the recall notice was that your um, inflator might overpressurize. Well, to a layman, what the hell does that mean? Right. That didn't, that didn't say it's going to take your face off. It doesn't say it's going to cut your head off. It says it's going to overpressurize. You have to say, well, yeah. <laughs> so, yes. And you don't worry about it. Even if you get the notice, you don't take it in. Uh, but the structure, what happened in 2015 when Takata finally had to start fessing up to this, uh, at which point you probably had, I think, about maybe 14 people who'd been killed. Now we're up closer to 30. Um, but at that point, what Takata uh, uh, did was to negotiate a sweetheart deal with the Obama administration, with the people who were running the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration in 2015, they uh, did a, a sweetheart deal, and instead of stopping them from making these little bombs, they came up with this matrix um, where your car, I mean, your driver's side would be on a different schedule from the passenger side, and if you're in Florida and your cousin is in Oklahoma, you're going to be on two different schedules because they've assessed you know, the, the stuff that causes the uh, explosive to deteriorate is going to be affected differently by the climate in those two places. So they came up with this matrix. Right now, it's 12 different priority groups. And here, I'm an expert in this stuff, and I have a devil of a time trying to figure out what fits in where, which makes and models fit in. And there really is only one way for anybody to do it, and I've been trying to get this word out to people. You have to put your VIN in to a database and find out whether the vehicle has actually been recalled and what, I'm, what I've discovered, what's obvious from NHTSA's website, is that uh, there are you know, more than 12 million cars out there that have been recalled and not fixed, which means people either didn't get the notices or they don't understand what they're supposed to do or whatever. But those are cars that are already recalled. And the other part of the sweetheart deal, <clears throat> another part of the sweetheart deal was that Takata was allowed to replace old defective inflators with new defective inflators, exactly the same design, exactly the same unit, kind of unit, except it's newer. So you've got a ticking time bomb, and you just reset the, the start. You know, you reset the clock by putting the new one in, which means that that one will have to be recalled, and you'll have to go in again and find out whether your car has been recalled and take it in again and get it fixed. And there are people who've had to go in three and four times um, to get uh, a uh, to replace those early uh, versions of these um, of these little bombs, but the most scandalous thing to me uh, is that that sweetheart deal included a carve out. So from model year 2018 forward, uh, car manufacturers were using a slightly different design uh, of these inflators. The ammonium nitrate had a drying agent sprinkled in with it, something called zeolite. And Takata claimed that, oh, well, with this drying agent in there, you don't have to worry about the explosive deteriorating, and there's no reason to recall these. And the Obama administration's transportation department said, oh, yeah, well, we'll give you until the end of 2019 to prove that those things are safe. You prove that they're safe or they're going to get recalled. And the Trump administration came in, and they took the whole thing on its head and said, well, prove to us that they're not safe. Hmm. Somebody prove to us that they're not safe. <laughs> wow. And um, they did not consult with any of the engineers who designed those so-called desiccated inflators. They never talked to any of the, uh, the Takata engineers. 
Instead, they entered into a secret arrangement uh, to do an engineering study uh, that was paid for, bought and paid for. I uh, don't want to sound like Sean Hannity here, but it was bought and paid for. <laughs> by Please the don't. <laughs> uh, no, I don't want to do that. My head exploded. Uh, but they, what they did was, uh, you know, they, um, you know, they did a secret report, and it was paid for by the people who have the most to lose if those cars have to be recalled, if those cars end up, you know, on the recall list. The people are going to pay for it in our manufacturers. Well, who do you suppose paid for this secret study as to whether these things were safe or not. Well, it was the car manufacturers. Sure. So, duh. You know, how do you think that's going to turn out? And so they produced this report uh, that was not released until May of this year. Uh, and that, even that didn't come out until after the Trump administration announced that they would not recall uh, those 30 million cars, uh, which to me is just a, a completely insane decision when you have every Takata engineer, everybody who really knows those things, insisting that they are no different from the other inflators. And you will see, uh, you know, I can direct you to people, some of those engineers, those whistleblowers, who will jump up and down, and they will sound like Sean Hannity, and they will, their heads will explode trying to explain to you. Nobody should be driving any Takata car with a Takata airbag in it. Any Takata airbag is going to have ammonium nitrate in it. And, you know, breaking news, the, you know, Beirut, Lebanon is almost gone Day because ammonium nitrate exploded in the city yesterday. Wow. And ammonium nitrate has a is really infamous. I mean, it was uh, what took the Oklahoma City Federal Building uh, down. Uh, it uh, wiped out a town called West Texas. Uh, uh, both of those were raw ammonium nitrate. <clears throat> but in Monclova, Mexico in 2006, Takata's own manufacturing facility blew up from raw ammonium nitrate, from the stuff they were putting into these inflators that they, you know, mishandle it. It's a, not a stable, it's not a safe thing to use. If you're doing mining operations or something like that, that's one thing. So their plant in Monclova blew up and Takata had so many orders for these cheap inflators, they went right back to packing this stuff into inflators before they even put the roof back on the building. So they were exposed to the, the, the raw material was exposed to humidity levels that are above, you know, what, the, whatever the, what they should ever be exposed to because humidity is one of the key factors in um, the stuff degrading uh, and exploding in unpredictable ways. And then of course you also had in 2016 um, a truckload of ammonium nitrate with inflators on it that uh, had an accident outside of Camado, Texas that, you know, created an explosion like nobody had ever heard before and um, incinerated a woman in her bed. Um, you know, again, killed her uh, and, and injured a whole bunch of other people. And, and this stuff, this, that's, that's what it does when it's out there on the highway. And then you've got hundreds of people uh, who have already been, already had these things explode in their faces. And the best estimates, the official estimate is that we're going to see another 1,000 to 2,000 people who are going to get blasted by the inflators. Holy yet, smokes, you know, Jerry. The government, what's that? I say, holy smokes. Maybe yeah. you can tell me if my uh, 2010 Subaru is safe. I, uh, I got a recall notice, I don't know, maybe six years ago, and they it clearly said, do not sit in the passenger seat. You can't sit there. Till we get a fix. Oh, when about six months, what about six months? They got a fix. Well, as we later learned, 
it wasn't a fix. It was just a new one that restarted the clock, like you say. And then about three years later, I got another recall to replace the passenger and the driver's side. And the reason they were on a different was part of that matrix, I guess, you're talking about. So I've got both of mine replaced. But what's in there now? Do you know? Well, it's possible they replaced it with something from another company. If it's a Takata inflator, it's going to be ammonium nitrate. Yeah, they if didn't it tell was manufactured me. manufactured by, by Autolave or Dicel, well, you try to get your... Uh, get your dealer to tell you. I mean, I had, I guess uh, I will now. Uh, I, I can, interview. yeah. Oh, you should, because they can open it up and look. And that happened with the editor of uh, corporate crime reporter who reported on the book pre-publication. And that was exactly the number one thing on his mind too. He had put his kid in, in uh, uh, Honda and it had been replaced twice. And he wanted to know what the deal was. And he had a w- good relationship with a dealer in West Virginia. So the guy did for free pop it open and look, and it was, uh, an inflator manufactured by a company called Dicel, D-A-I-C-E-L, which was good news because they've never used, nobody has ever used ammonium nitrate other than Takata. And in fact, the other companies that even looked at it, uh, CRW in Germany, they were one of the ones that looked at it back in the mid-2000s, and they said, oh my God, we can't use this stuff. We would have to freeze-dry our supplies. We would have to make sure that moisture can't get into the inflator um, which is kind of hard to do when you have to put holes in the canister in order to let the gas out to inflate the airbag. How are you going to keep moisture out and still let the let the stuff uh, you know let, let the thrust come out of it? Um, but but you know I would absolutely make sure that you do not have anything in there manufactured by Takata. The good news is it will say Takata on it, and you'll know. And uh, I would get rid of that car immediately. And the other thing that would worry me, and if you have a, a more recently manufactured car, if you have one that um, has the desiccated ammonium nitrate, it's not on that matrix. It was carved out in 2015 and has never even been recalled. So that's why I say you've got 12 million cars out there that are under recall that haven't been repaired. Now that's off. Horrifying thought. And, and six million of those are in the highest priority groups. They're the ones that are better than 50% chance that if it goes off, it'll take your head off. Yes. Six million of them are out there, and nobody's paying any attention to it at all. And you have this administration come along and decide, well, we're not going to worry about the other 30 million because people haven't died yet. Right. Holy and smokes. I don't, I don't want to be the one. I'm, you know, I've made sure that I don't have a car with uh, ammonium nitrate in an airbag inflated. I'll be darned if I want to be the one to show by getting my head blown off that they should recall those other 30 million cars with the so-called desiccated inflators. Hey, Jerry, in the, in the last, um, what, five or six months now with the, the uh, crisis that we're in, the health crisis, a lot of people have decided that they're going to buy uh, a van, um, a motor home, and they're going to tow that motor home or RV with a pickup truck. And does this issue um, go into those industries too? Are there Takata or were there Takata airbags in pickup trucks or motor homes, or different classes of motor homes to your knowledge? I do not know about motor homes, but the Ford Ranger pickup uh, uses a design that is uh, the same as the design Honda uses in smaller cars that they sell in uh, Malaysia and places like that. And those have killed multiple people, had killed multiple people over there. Ford did nothing about them 
until uh, a man in South Carolina um, had an encounter with a cow on his way to work. Not a particularly bad accident. Um, he was wearing his seatbelt, and the only thing the seatbelt did was hold him in exactly the right position for the inflator when it ruptured to take his head off. And um, I came across a photograph that some kind of sick person had posted on the internet of that, and it absolutely drove me to tears. Just the very idea that this supposed you know, 2015 agreement, the sweetheart deal between Takata and the Transportation Department back in the Obama administration had allowed that to happen. That just that horrified me and convinced me that I had to tell this story. And it was even worse um, some 15, 16 months later uh, when I found out that a fellow uh, in West Virginia had bought a uh, Ford Ranger that came off the assembly line, same assembly line, same day, with exactly the same inflator, and his had not been recalled either. And um, the inflator exploded and took his head off. So that's two people bought four Rangers that were manufactured side by side and with months in between. So nothing had happened to protect the second guy. And uh, Ford waited six months before they announced that it had happened. And uh, they issued um, a do not drive order for a very small number. They basically just looked at the truck that came off the assembly line that day and then sort of realized that, wait a minute, those inflators weren't just used that day. They were used a lot. And so they widened the recall. But there are still really millions of cars out there that are under do not drive orders because they're so old or because they have inflators that are just notoriously dangerous. And um, those are out there, and that's with the trucks uh, as well as with passenger vehicles. Do you know, Jerry, by chance, if, if that same situation, not that somebody lost their life, but have there been other issues with, with uh, truck manufacturers? Because, as you know, about a million, a million pickup trucks sell a year, and they're, that they're the most popular vehicle on the road by far. Have you heard of other situations with other truck manufacturers? Well, there are two ways to find out. Yes. Uh, I don't know, but one way to find out would be to look at a list of the vehicles that are currently under recall. That's yes. available on its website and a lot of other places. Yes. So if you have a specific make and model of a pickup truck, look and see whether uh, it's on that list. Okay. And the second thing to do is to check the VIN. And uh, if people will go to killerairbags.com, uh, and scroll about halfway down the, um, the homepage, there you'll see two different ways to do that. One is to go to a NHTSA website where you can type it in. Then is just the same with a pickup truck as it is with a passenger vehicle. Type it in and see what kind of, all 17 digits. Got to get them in the right order, uh, all that kind of stuff. And yes. it should tell you whether it's currently under recall. It won't tell you whether it will be under recall six months from now. It'll tell you whether it's under recall right now. The other option, I don't know if any place that really points people to this other than killerairbags.com but there is an app um, that if you have an iPhone you can download an app and what it supposedly does and I've used it and I've seen it actually work on uh, I can't vouch for it but with that app you take a photograph of your license plate and it will figure out what the VIN is that goes with that license plate and it will run the VIN against NHTSA's database so that's a lot simpler to do and it's also easier if you want to check, um, you know, your, your cousin's car or your neighbor's car or anybody else that you don't want to see beheaded. You know, I think all of us have a list nowadays of people we 
be happiest to be headed, but there are plenty of people we don't want to see head. <laughs> I hate to laugh, but and, that's pretty uh, funny. <laughs> it's kind of true. I mean, you know, you watch the news nowadays, and you know, you, just, you really want to go go out there with a machete or something. I mean, it's just it's terrible what's going on in the world. But sure. um, you know, if you've got people you care about, uh, then I would down go to killerairbags.com, download that app um, on the iTunes uh, store. Uh, and uh, just go around. I, I used it. Um, um, I used a gym at the university that's next to my house, and I knew that a lot of people sent their kids off to college in older cars or bought used cars to put them in, cheaper to insure and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I found multiple cars. I mean, I had no trouble. Any night that I went to the gym, I could walk around, and also the students weren't going to come out and beat me up for doing that. Uh, they caught me, but, um, you know, I went around and, and uh, took pictures of license plates and it immediately told me, yeah, this car has uh, had an outstanding airbag recall for the last six years. And so I'd leave it on their dashboard and they probably then decided that it was some nut case and paid no attention to it whatsoever. It's not the same as having your um, dealer uh, notified. If you take it in for uh, repairs, you would think that the dealer would point it out to you, but they don't, and they, they don't want to. Even the dealers are kind of in on this thing because they don't make a dime um, off of doing a recall repair. It's just a wash to them. And um, you know, if you go to an independent repair place, they're not authorized to do the free repair that you are entitled to by law. And if they're not authorized to do it, what do they have to gain by sending you to a dealership? All they're doing is, is maybe getting making you a customer of that dealership's um, repair shop instead of their own. So there are all these disincentives um, to uh, notifying people. We had one case, a woman named Stephanie Erdman uh, in, in Florida, where so many people have been killed and injured. Um, she went, took her car to a Honda dealer four times after the recall was issued. She never heard anything about it. They never mentioned it. They never fixed it. And one day it blinded her, totally wrecked her life. And Stephanie Erdman uh, you know, is a different person today. She's, she's been uh, doing a lot of public service announcements and that kind of stuff to try to keep this from happening to other people. But her dealership didn't do her any favors, any way, shape, or form. And then she had a later Honda she more recently took back. I've heard this, at least I haven't confirmed it, but my understanding is she took the other Honda into the dealership and said she wanted her airbag replaced. And the repair guy, uh, the service manager, said, oh, that's nothing to worry about. That's no big deal. And Stephanie said to him, go to that screen over there. That goes to the internet, right? He says, yeah. She says, type in my name. And he got a picture up on the screen of a four-inch chunk of metal sticking out of her face. Oh, boy. And she said, now you tell me this is not a big deal. Yes. Hey, Jerry, a couple of quick things bef- before uh, the end of our episode here today. I, I should have said asked this earlier. Your email address um, uh, says that you're with Potomac Strategic Associates. Are, are you a practicing attorney, or what do you do other than you're spending a lot of time with this uh, important issue, but what do you do uh, day in and day out? Well, I'm an advocate for auto safety, and I represent companies that are uh, regulated by the government, and that's one of the reasons that uh, Takata hired me was because I had this background with airbags and with recalls. Yes. Uh, and what they wanted me to do was to lay out for them, and it's primarily the American executives that hired me. What they wanted me to do was to lay out a strategy. When thus coming strategy, so they wanted me to lay out a strategy for the company 
you know, when the day they, they, the Americans saw that all the hiding and lying that the Japanese executives were insisting on, they'd gotten away with it uh, up to through 2013, but it was becoming clear by the end of 2013 that the lid was coming off. And so the American executives wanted to be prepared for that. And I told them what they needed to do was to form a truth squad, you know, executives, American executives who really have the knowledge and skills to get out there and at least start telling the truth about the need for more recalls and about the um, fault in the design of these um, inflators. And I, I honestly believe that they had started doing that. They had multiple opportunities to come clean and I think that the company would have survived, but uh, the chairman of the company himself, um, that, that proposal was presented to the chairman of the company in Tokyo, and he nixed it. Yes. What other? I, I also wanted to ask to go back earlier in the interview when I mentioned that um, that you believe that you'll you'll be attacked. I don't mean literally, but figuratively with words, and people may uh, dis- try to discredit you. I'm sure that using lay terms, you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's. And and what do you feel about that? Suppose you do get, in your world, you get um, some another attorney writing a cease and desist or a threatening letter to your attention. How are you prepared if that occurs? Um, what do you plan on doing with that? And I don't mean to put the cart before the horse, but it sounds it's a very controversial issue with involving a lot of money. And what do you what do you expect? I have to tell you, I tortured myself for years over that very question. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, what it came down to was a moral decision that I couldn't not tell the story, that nobody else was going to tell the story. And if I didn't tell it, people would die because of that. And given the choice between taking the risk of them quibbling with points that I've made or revelations that I put out there in front of God and everybody, um, given the choice, I'll stick on the side of not, not seeing any more pictures of people beheaded in their cars. The, the moral high road, that, that's a good reason. Jerry, we got like eight or Imagine ten. Imagine that, a Washington, a Washington lawyer yeah. taking the, the uh, <laughs> Now that is unusual. That's very unusual. <laughs> so we got eight or ten uh, airbags in our cars now. Are all of the inflators just as dangerous or what? Uh, the ones I would worry about, the ones I'm most familiar with, are going to be passenger and driver side inflators. And it's funny because when they were, as people were manufacturing cars, they, they um, were so desperate to get um, uh, uh, airbags so they could keep the production line moving. In many cases, you might have a Takata airbag on one side and a die cell airbag on the other. Um, so it's very confused. And uh, like I said, the, I think that the auto manufacturers really go out of their way to uh, take advantage of that confusion because that's also something that has affected that matrix. It also affects why your car might be, um, why you might get three different recall notices, as you, Bruce, I think we're saying you got like three or four of them. Right. Uh, that's why, because, um, you know, they were um, different, different designs. Takata made 18 different versions of this ammonium nitrate inflator uh, over the years. They kept tweaking and, and trying to satisfy the car manufacturer's specifications about where it was going to go in the dash panel um, and uh, how much space they would have in various cars, you know, and um, that sort of thing. So it's a very um, 
uh, complicated, and uh, they really they're taking advantage of that, and that's one of the reasons that you still have 12 million of them out there, uh, even after recall notices have been issued. There's still 12 million that have not been repaired, and if there's anything I can say, if if your um, listenership includes uh, you know people who are just consumers who are just interested in this subject more than they are in motor vehicles in general, then I can only urge them. Please, please go to any dealer that makes your kind of car. I don't care if you never walked into a new car dealership in your life. If you're driving a Honda, go to a Honda dealership. If you're driving a Ford that's under recall, go to a Ford dealership and tell them that they will replace your airbag and you're going to leave in a loaner car if they can't get it fixed. You know, I mean, of course, you can call ahead to try to save everybody some anguish, but there's a guy in Australia who had an appointment uh, to get his airbag replaced, and it got postponed two days. The appointment got postponed two days, and he died in the interim. The thing exploded and killed him the day before it was supposed to be replaced. Unconscionable. That's bad luck. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Jerry, uh, bef- and before we forget, yeah. can we assume that your book is available, uh, Killer Airbags, and of course you have a corresponding website, at all the usual outlets, whether it's Amazon and other uh, book retailers uh, online or bookstores, if there are any left, uh, is, that, is that a safe assumption that the book is available at all, all those regular places? Well, actually, not exactly. It's available at Amazon. Um, there's been a little bit of a glitch with the uh, publisher, uh, but uh, Amazon is a good place to go uh, get it, and you can link straight or click straight through to it from killerairbags.com. And the book recently was number 22 on Amazon's bestseller list in the category of automotive industries. Great. Um, you know, that's a dynamic list. It changes. But for a while there, it was outselling Lee Iacocca's uh, autobiography. And I was very pleased to see that. Um, the only thing that worries me is that there are too many people who just want to know how to, um, well, not too many, but I mean, I want people to, to, to know what to do to protect themselves and to protect people that they love. I want them to do that, but I certainly want other people to understand just how rotten this system is and uh, the extent to which they need to hold their own lawmakers accountable. I mean, it's really hard to see that anybody's doing anything other than squabbling in Congress today. I'm there, you know, on a regular basis and uh, see it, and it's useless. It's completely useless. That's the kind of thing that, you know, makes you come up with a list of people you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'd just assume leave driving yeah, those airbags. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So it's it's available at Amazon.com, and there's a you can click straight through to it, and also get other useful information at KillerRedX.com. Great, excellent. Hey Jerry, thanks a bunch. We could spend the rest of the day because it's we're just soaking up knowledge here. So, um, but we we thank you for being a guest on the Weekly Driver Podcast. Please, uh, people, uh, take a look at Jerry's book and visit his website. It's obviously a very important issue and. And thank you for what you're doing. We appreciate you being a guest on our podcast. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. I truly appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. We'll be back in touch, Jerry. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye now.